Hello and welcome back to What's Your Favorite Scary Movie. I'm Sarah. I'm Verona. And today we are going to talk about the movie Barbarian. This is actually a re-recording. We already recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, but um, there was just a lot of technical issues. We're going to attempt to recreate some of the conversation and talking points. Um, so if it sounds like we're stumbling over things a little bit, that might be why. And also, just as a little bit of a content warning, one of the kind of subjects that pops up in this movie in a few different places is sexual assault, as well as it kind of ties into one of the pillars of this movie. So in this episode, we will be kind of touching on that a little bit, just in case that is something you are not interested in listening to today and want to skip this episode, come back to it later or not at all. That is completely up to you. Uh, that being said, I think we can dive back into this into this re-record. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. How have you been? <laughs> I kind of, oh God, that's a loaded question. Um, I kind of wish I had watched it again last night, but I've also seen this movie like three times now. So I feel like I'm good, but this weirdly was like a comfort movie for me too. I don't know why, but like, cause I remember before we recorded this episode, I was watching it just cause I was like, I need something comforting right now. And I put on this fucking movie for some reason. And then you were like, wait, we should do that for the podcast. So it's like, okay. And then like two days later, we were watching it again. You almost cut me off when I asked that too. I said like, oh, we should do a barbarian episode. Do you want to do that as the next episode? And I was like, if you don't want to do it right now, because you just watched it and you don't want to rewatch it, that's okay. And you like cut me off. You were like, absolutely, I'll rewatch this movie like two times in 48 hours and then talk about it for an hour. It's a really, it's a really good movie. Like 2022 gave us such a good year for horror. Like just it's so many incredible movies, this one included. And I'm very upset that I didn't get to see it in a theater. I watched it for the first time on my laptop, which in like a dark room, which like was kind of perfect, but like not the same as like if it had been in a theater. I did see this in a theater with a friend of mine who has kind of become like a bit of a movie watching friend for me. It's something that like she's always down to like watch a movie if I need someone to go to the theater with and she's so great for that. And so I suggested Barbarian. I was like, do you want to come and see this movie with me? It's a horror movie. I was told not to look up anything about it. So I don't know really anything I can tell you about it. I just know that it's like a horror movie and it's supposed to be really crazy. And she was like, yep, I'm down. Give me the time, place. I'll pick you up. You get tickets, I'll get popcorn. Like, let's go. About like, uh, maybe around that first twist, I like kind of sat there, looked over at her because I was like, am I a bad friend for having like just told her like, oh, it'll be like a fun little horror movie and like taking her to this. We remained friends, so I'm assuming it was fine. She really likes it, so. It is so good. I am so glad that I knew literally nothing about it. Like I didn't even, the only thing I knew about this movie was the poster. I didn't know who was in it. I didn't know that there was like a crazy plot. I didn't know it was about an Airbnb. I knew literally nothing. Our friend Bui was just like, do you want to watch this movie with me? I've been hearing good things about it. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Uh, put it on. And I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen actually. <laughs> No, it's, um, it's wild. I, I remember watching, I think, Possessed by Horror's YouTube channel. And she was doing one of those, like, movies I watched this month, little, like, recap videos where you don't really, like, talk a ton about any of them. And she had mentioned Barbarian, and she was like, you don't know anything about this movie, and you shouldn't know anything about this movie before seeing it. She's like, please literally don't even, like, look up anything. I was like, well, you've intrigued me, so let me go check it out. And I was, yeah, she was completely right. You can't know anything about it going in. I thought that maybe the twist, because, you know, everyone's like, you were never gonna expect what this movie's about. I thought the twist was gonna be maybe that, like, she was crazy. Like, she shows yeah. up to her Airbnb and he's already there and we're all worried about him, right? Because... 
a woman alone with like a stranger and it would turn out she was crazy and I was like that would be per first of all it'd be an okay movie but like I wouldn't be as impressed with it it would just kind of be a twist this one I feel like even every twist I, I was just like oh my god like watching it and getting to the first part where Keith is yelling at her in the underground tunnels and is like we have to go we have to go and then all of a sudden this big titty lady just runs after him and just bashes his head into the side my jaw dropped and I literally sat up and I was like yo what the fuck especially when they go down to the like when she goes down to the basement for the first time and it's so creepy I was like oh is it gonna be like a creepy cult or like there's people under the house like even that would be like as still, above so like, below right I was like, even that would be like, oh, a twist. So I wasn't expecting, you know, it to be like a monster movie. And then that, yeah, like you said, that cut to Justin Long driving on the PCH, like singing along to his happy little music and it's all sunny. And I was like, oh my God. Like no time to recover, no time to process what just happened. And I was so confused. I was literally like checking the stream and I was like, did it cut to a different movie on accident? Like what is happening here? Cause I didn't know Justin Long was in this and I love Justin Long. I didn't either. So I was just like, what happened? And I was just sitting there just processing. like, And then I was like, how is he going to tie into this now? What's happening? And then his whole storyline is just very crazy. I It was like Letterboxd or Film Updates or somebody. It was like, this is the Scream King like of this current era that we're in for yes. horror. It's just yes. as long. And I was like, I'll take that. I agree. So for those who haven't seen the movie and ignored all the warnings and are listening to this anyway, um, the plot of Barbarian is that a young woman books an Airbnb while she is going to a, she's going into the city for a job interview. So she books an Airbnb and when she arrives, she finds that it has been double booked and there is already someone staying there and he confirms that he actually also did book it. They were they genuinely double booked. So while she's staying in the Airbnb surrounding her job interview, she ends up exploring the property a little bit and she discovers A, that it is in a really, really nasty neighborhood. She's being warned by people at like this job interview that it's bad. She can see in the broad daylight how bad it is. The house is like very run down. The neighborhood is abandoned. And so she explores and finds a very, very creepy basement in the house. Keith the man that she was sharing the Airbnb with also goes to check out the basement at one point and he ends up basically being murdered by a brutally. giant scary, yeah, very, very brutally murdered by a giant big scary monster. This big scary monster also abducts Tess and that is the last that we see of them for this opening of the movie. Act one. We meet Justin Long and Justin Long is a actor and he lives in Hollywood and he's, I mean in real life, but in the movie. Um, he is actually the property owner that's like renting this, this house that has been like abandoned or whatever. Um, he's in the middle of a sexual misconduct lawsuit. So he's trying to like liquidate some of his assets and make some money. So he decides he's gonna sell the house that he's been using to Airbnb and goes back to the house to check it out and get ready to market it. And he also comes across the basement and is also abducted by these monsters. And we find that Tess is still down there. There's a even creepier sub basement. Tess is down there as well. Um, and she and Justin Long go to try and make their great escape. I don't really even need to get into the whole ending yet because we will get to that. But that is the setup for a movie that was described as a woman checks into an Airbnb only to find that it is someone's already staying there. Hashtag horror. That's the whole plot that we were given going in. All right, let's start with like the first act because I have like a lot of notes that are like more like technical things that I like about this movie. But let's start with like the plot itself. 
So the three kind of pillars that are constantly used throughout this movie, the three big themes that we see a lot of are themes of gentrification, um, as well as just like the general distaste for poor people and people in less privileged situations. Mother's rage, which sometimes overlaps with, but is still its own distinct category from women's rage. And then also women's politeness and how that's kind of like a downfall and a weakness. Okay, let's start with, because the op- the very opening shot starts with those like horrifying screams. And I love the sound design in this movie so much. I remember the first time we recorded this, that morning I woke up out of a nightmare because in my nightmare I was hearing those screams and something running at me and then I woke up and I was like well that's a great way to start the day for the barbarian episode actually like that very on theme and so that really stuck with me obviously but I love that they kind of use that multiple times throughout they use these like really horrifying screams that like kind of hit you in your core and that's like the first thing we hear and see of this movie and then she (laughs) goes to the door and she meets Keith. This beginning we see how women interact with men in situations that could potentially be dangerous. How we almost have to protect ourselves without letting them know that we're protecting ourselves because the second that you do that, the second you're on the defense, immediately go for offense and then they make it your fault because they're like well I wouldn't have to be this way if you didn't treat me like this you started this like you're the reason why I then started to be aggressive towards you and it's like no thankfully in this movie we do not see that Keith is a polite nice and normal man every single second that we see him we're scared it's going to take that turn because obviously that's kind of how we interact in daily lives because that's how it's been but with him he like fully gets that's it. We see that, like, you know, she walks in, she's like, hey, I'm gonna use the bathroom, but, like, while I do that, do you mind pulling up your confirmation so, like, I know you're also supposed to be here, here's mine. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, like, here's mine. <laughs> um, and then, like, he kind of just keeps doing that. He's like, oh, like, I'll make you tea. And then he's like, I get it, you don't want to drink, like, the tea you didn't watch me make, I can make you another one right now and you can watch me make it. And then, you know, she's in the shower and he's like, I want to open this bottle of wine. I know you said you didn't want any, but, like, I didn't want to open it. And then you decide you wanted some so I just waited and she's like no like I'm good I still don't want and he's like oh okay like I'll open it now then and like you can just see the ways that he like tries to make her comfortable and is also very understanding of why she like would not be comfortable in this situation like it's a very good dynamic but the entire time you're still like holding your breath waiting for him to snap there's obviously like obviously tension breaks when somebody dies in a horror movie, that's the whole point. That's that's how horror movies work. But that being said, there was also that additional layer of relief when he died where I was kind of like, oh, that sucks, I liked Keith. But also now I don't have to be in that fucking situation that I was in for the first act anymore where I was so tense in this like horrible relationship with this movie. No, literally. Cause like, it's a horror movie. You know something bad is gonna happen. You just hope it's not what you're thinking is gonna happen this entire first part. Tess is like very polite throughout the entire movie. Like she is constantly just like has a guard up to protect herself obviously as you would in this situation and a lot of men online were very angry over her character when this was first kind of like hitting streaming and like everyone had their opinions about it most people and it was mostly men were very angry about just every move that Tess made even
even though she survives and makes it out. And I was like, why are we directing our anger at her, the person who survived, and not like Justin Long or Keith? Because Keith especially, they were like, well, yeah, like anyone would go into the basement to check it out for themselves. Why would they take her word for it? He died because of that. If he had taken her word for it and they had gotten out of there, he'd still be alive probably. It'd be a one-act movie. It'd be yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, like, why are we judging the actions of the woman who survived and not of the men who died? Like what you had said earlier, and also just like something that's insanely true that I'm sure will come up more as we're talking, but it's always our fault. It's our fault if we didn't do enough and it's our fault if we did too much. So it's kind of funny that that's a lesson that like every woman knows. We all know that. We all feel that like very frustrating understanding that it's always going to be said as our fault. And so we, we're so tense watching the movie for the same reasons you just said. And then to walk out of the theater and hear someone say, the, to, for your, people to have those two exact sentiments that she either did too much or she didn't do enough is so funny. Like to hear that is just like, yeah, no shit. This is like the reality. And it's funny that like every woman understood that and every man, it went over their heads. Like it was just crazy. Even though this entire movie kind of guides you through that and is like, hey, she did everything right, technically. And that's why she survived and not the other guys. You know, everyone always tells like women when they're in these situations, why don't you go to the police? She went to the police in this and they dismissed her. But then people were mad because they were like, she wasn't trying hard enough with the police. And I was like, what else do you expect her to do? She literally took them to the house and was like, here's where it happened. Here is this smashed window that I escaped from. And all they were like, oh, you like, we technically could arrest you for like property damage. So you should just leave. On what planet, by the way, just like as an additional note, on what planet do you think telling a black woman that she should have been more aggressive and forward with the police is gonna help her fucking situation at all. And we see it. They just call her a crackhead and they're like, yeah, she's a crackhead. Like they're all like this around here. And it's like, she, what else could she have honestly done? Because she, we see her, she's trying to break the door down with her body because she's like, if you guys won't, I will and I'll go show you. And then they're like, we could arrest you for that. So you better stop. And then they got mad at her for trying to go back and help Keith or help Justin Long help whoever was stuck down there because they were like well she already got out she should have just kept going and I was like and like what do you think the reaction would have been if she did do everything else like for herself to survive it would have been like well that's not nice <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that where's your humanity where's your compassion it's like Jesus Christ exactly that's a big thing that people are missing when they watch horror movies is humanity and compassion because it's so easy to watch these things and judge these characters in that moment and be like well if I was there I would have done this and it's like yeah but you're not and you will never be in that life or death situation so you truly will never know what you will actually do in that situation because when it comes down to it your logical brain isn't really there you're just like survival instincts take over you literally go into fight or flight or freeze or fawn you don't know unless you're in that situation so it's very easy to judge what someone does in like a horror movie and be, call them stupid or whatever and yeah sometimes there are people who are genuinely stupid but it's for the sake of the movie but in something like this I'm like she was never stupid you guys just don't like her choices because when it comes down to it you would not save your fellow man her choices were all intelligent they just also had like you said they just had compassion injected into them she just she tried to do like she did get out she got out and was like, I'm gonna go get help. I'm not gonna like stay here and try and help you because I'm I'm aware this is beyond my ability to help, but I will come back with help. I'm not just gonna like get in my car and <laughs> leave and never look back. 
And I'm like, that's the intelligent thing to do. It's intelligent and compassionate. That's a good combination. It may not always be the most effective combination, but it's the least risky and like the best one that you can do. It's so smart. The like precautions she sets up when she's first going into the basement, because I think she goes down there originally for like toilet paper. And then she realizes the door closes and then she realizes she doesn't have her phone. She has the key, like, like so many different things. So it's like, oh, fuck. She doesn't just, like, go down there and just, like, fuck it. I'm going to go explore. She goes down there for a purpose. And then when she gets stuck and she finds that place, she then sets up a mirror and lights and, like, different things to, like, go into it. And then she keeps that door open because she realizes her mistake with the first door. And so she keeps that one propped open along with a mirror to shine light in there and like a couple other things. And also she doesn't go in right away. She sits there and she stares into it for a while, like contemplating. And then when she finds the first room, she doesn't venture any further. She gets out and she waits for Keith to get there and get her out. And then she's like, we need to go right now. I saw a room. And then he's like, well, I have to, I have to go see it for myself. Sorry. Like, I also kind of, to an extent, get his like sort of dumb confidence in the situation because even as someone who watches so many horror movies my dumb ass probably would have been like that's so creepy i want to i want to see it like i wouldn't think that anything's gonna happen because i'm like i have that dumb blind confidence where i'm like there's no way that like this is gonna actually be scary it's just gonna like i don't want to not see it i don't want to miss the opportunity <laughs> but that's just me and it's not a smart choice like i can say right now that yes i would do it but like that's because i'm an idiot it is not a smart choice exactly it's not the smart choice i do understand why he feels the need to go see it himself but then i'm also like i would just kind of take someone's word for it and then i especially wouldn't venture down further when I see like this creepy flight of stairs because like he had to search around and look for that because it's behind like another like big door thing and then you walked down the stairs and then you walked further into this tunnel like but yet I have not seen these same people criticizing Tess criticize him for that they were like, yeah, I would I would want to see it too. Why would I trust her? And I'm like, go ahead. Then die. Like, die for all I care. I won't come back to save you. Because I don't want to be stupid and compassionate. I'm going to do the smart thing and I'm going to leave. Yeah, so she takes all these different precautions. Like, with every single step that she takes, she tries to think as logically as possible. And that gets harder and harder throughout the movie because obviously... She, she keeps getting put into more dire situations that causes your logical brain to like shrink faster and faster because you have less time to make these decisions. Um, and yet we see her right after Keith dies and she's in that little cage or whatever it is. She made it there, obviously, because she treated the creature with compassion. She understood it's kind of the same as like a wild animal, like no sudden movements, no loud noises, don't try to attack it, just like be as calm as possible and just like do whatever it says which is another thing that women are so inclined and taught to do is to diffuse the situation keep it calm make sure that we are in control as much as possible without letting them know that we are in control she never matches their energy even though she is fully justified to at like every part of this. She never tries to overpower any of them, even the creature, because she knows that like it's not gonna it's not gonna end well. And then when, you know, Justin Long is thrown down in there with her and he's screaming and freaking out and she's telling him like shut up, calm down, do whatever she says, and he's still like freaking out and not really doing it. 
and like not listening to her. And then, you know, the gross little bottle. Oh my good God. I'd be like, just kill me. I would also rather die than have to use that bottle. That's all I'm going to say on it. I'm going to move on really quick because I am starting okay. to gag. I can't, no. I yeah. can't do yeah, saliva yeah. and you know that. I know. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Breeze right past it. So the only time that we really truly see her um, her politeness actually be her downfall, which we were kind of expecting it to be always, um, and it really isn't, which is just why it keeps you so tense. The one time that we do finally see her actually, any harm actually coming to her because of her being submitting, kind, compassionate, trusting is, of course, at the end of the movie with Justin Long there. But otherwise, you spend the whole movie waiting for it to snap and happen and it doesn't, which is just so, it's too much. And you know what? It's not everyone's thing. Like some people don't like watching horror movies that are about like serial killers. That's like more of a real fear. And I don't like want to go into a theater and have the same feeling of fear that I could have in my day-to-day -day life for no reason. I'd, I'd rather have like a safe controlled fear experience, which is what seeing a horror movie is, um, of something that like I won't experience in my day-to-day -day life. And then it'll be like a fun little unique thing. I usually would hear that kind of sentiment from people and be like, I mean, okay, sure, I guess, but like, I don't get scared of like serial killer stuff either. So I was like, maybe I'm just not getting it. But after seeing this, I'm like, oh, I totally see what you mean, where the feeling of fear that sets in and that feeling of tension is a familiar one instead of a new one when it's something that you're used to feeling before. I'm like, oh, this is a fear that I have felt often that I'm feeling while I'm sitting in a theater. And that's a very strange, detached experience from sitting in a theater and feeling fear for something that's like new to you. But I didn't hate it. I didn't hate the experience. It was definitely very unique. It's very weird to have something fictional make you feel something so familiar like that. I liked it. It was fine. Yeah. And that's what I kind of liked about this movie is the fact that it like in some instances feels very real where you're like, oh God, like we've all been there. But that point flies over anyone's head who hasn't experienced that. But they can still enjoy the movie for other reasons. They just won't catch that point. But all of us who have felt it will because we're like, yeah, we go through that like every day. And it's always a fear. <laughs> And also, even if it's not relatable, it might genuinely feel scary to people because they're concerned for her, like, oh my god, what's going to happen to her? Oh no, I'm scared this guy's going to do something because they're, like, aware that that is a possibility. But like you said, it's not um, a familiar fear. It's, like, another fictional fear. The same way that, like, I would maybe feel seeing a movie about ghosts or aliens or whatever. So another kind of theme that pops up a lot in this movie is uh, gentrification and poverty. So I think one of the little... Uh, quick first ways that we see that is just about, you know, Keith, when he invites um, Tess into the house, he's like, oh, you just come inside. Like, you can't wait in your car right now. Like, it's dark out. You can't just sit out there in your car. There's no one else around. It's a really bad neighborhood. When she first arrives to the house, it's dark. There's no streetlights. You can't see any of the surrounding properties particularly well. You really can't even, like, see across the street when we see the shot of her, um, like, from the front door of the house where she's, like, shot out at her on the street. Um, and the house, as she walks up to it, looks kind of like quaint and just like a nice, like normal little ranch house, I guess. Yeah, so he's like, oh, it's a really rough neighborhood. Like you need to come inside. And when she comes in, like the house is really nice and just like very normal. It's cute. It's put together. It's like modern. They, you know, they kind of talk about it. And he talks about the, the artist like collectives that he is like scouting locations for. And she's talking about how she's actually there for an interview to work with a documentary filmmaker who's doing a documentary about those like artist collectives. Um, so that's just like a cool little connection that they, they talk about. But 
they both seem to have like a lot of respect for the subject. You just don't really like think a lot of it until um, until she goes out. She goes outside of the house the next morning and can actually like see it in broad daylight. And like the neighborhood like is so overgrown. The houses are like abandoned, boarded up. The house that she just came outside of that she's been staying the night in is like completely run down. There's like nothing around. Like you look like when she looks down the street and like up the street, there's like a power plant in the distance. Like there's nothing out there. They're like really in the middle of nowhere. I was born in Detroit. My dad uh, was also born there and grew up there. And when I was watching it, he was like kind of, you know, doing the dad thing where he like is like, I'm not fucking watching it. And then is standing behind the couch watching it with like his arms crossed for like 20 minutes. And so he was like, that looks like Detroit. And I was like, it is Detroit, actually. And he's like, oh, that's crazy. And like, he takes so much pride in being from Detroit and like loving Detroit. So he was just like, wow, like a horror movie set in Detroit. Like, that's really cool. And I was like, I know. It was at the part where when we see the flashback of it, like in the 60s of the house and the neighborhood and like the old guy and then- It's like a picturesque suburb. <laughs> yeah. And then the his neighbor's talking to him and is like, we're getting out because we're scared that like if the neighborhood's going to shit, uh, if we don't get out now, like we're not sure we'll get out next year. And so they're already kind of talking about like how shitty this place is, but it was when he's at the grocery store, that's when my dad was like, that's Detroit. I know that. And I was like, it is Detroit. Good job. Um, I don't know if they actually filmed there. I feel like probably not. But it just, it looks so much like Detroit that he was like, hey, that that looks like it could be Detroit. And I was like, yeah. And he kind of said the same thing where it was like a place that like not many people wanted to live in. And kind of the only things in these areas was like these big factories or plants. Um, because that was kind of like the, the timeline almost of like being in Detroit. Like you would go to school as soon as you graduated high school, you'd go start working at like one of the car factories or one of the plants. Um, his dad worked for a beer company called Stroh's and it was it was a factory and that's where he was meant to go next so he was like yeah that's kind of like the cycle where that's where everyone goes that's kind of what we get stuck in they promise us like these picturesque little houses that we all live in and like a community all go to work together like and he was like but it it did get very run down after like probably the 70s because my dad was born in the 60s so he was like it, it did eventually get run down because people realized that they could like have more than that or other people would come in and try to take advantage of that so i feel like that was kind of a cool it's kind of cool getting like his perspective because like he actually was there during that like time the time when it is originally taking place in the story um and he lived there until early 2000s that's really cool and you know what that did not fucking come up the last time that we did this so i'm glad that we get that for this conversation i think that shot is so interesting where it flashes back to like the original owner in the little community because then you really see the drastic difference and you're like oh they just fully abandoned this neighborhood to like die like just let it be whatever and i don't think they ever explain like why they started abandoning it i feel like it's supposed to be like because of his icky little thing underneath the stairs but they never like He's one man making the neighborhood a little more unsafe every day. That part too, when he's like going back to the house and he has his groceries after his neighbor's done talking to him and he opens the basement door and you just hear the girl like screaming down there is so crazy because it's such like a gut-wrenching, like realistic scream. And like, we know later what she goes through down there. So, well, not even entirely. We really 
we have an idea. We get, like, the gist of it, but yeah. Yeah, we get a gist of it later because we see the tapes very briefly of what he's been collecting. And we see he has, like, a massive bookshelf filled with these tapes. Like, this tiny room that he's living in has all these tapes. I saw a screenshot of the tapes of, like, one row. And they are so, like, heartbreaking. Like, it just, like, it hit me in such, like, a... A weirdly, like, emotional response to it. yeah. Because, like, you look at the the tape, some of them have names, some of them are just, like, redhead, homeless, cab driver, no teeth, junkie. One that stood out to me that was, like, so horrifying, it just has the label, won't stop crying. Everything in me dropped when I saw that screenshot, because we don't fully know what the girls went through in there. We don't know how many he had. We know there's like hundreds probably because of all these tapes. We can get a a sense of an idea because we hear one of the tapes playing for a second. We obviously see this monster woman that he's created and we see the gross room. And I feel like that's way scarier than actually showing us what could have happened because our mind fills in those gaps with like just the scariest images that we can muster up. And the other one that says bad nosebleeder, I think that was the one that you said was the worst for you. And I think it does a really good job. That's another thing I really like about this movie, even though it is so heavily reliant on sexual assault, we never once see it. There are respectful, respectful is not even quite the word, there are responsible ways to incorporate themes like sexual assault into horror movies without um, traumatizing, re-traumatizing your audience. So while I'm sure that there is someone who might have seen this and gotten really upset and had a really emotional reaction to it, um, that's kind of not a ton different than like an unfortunate consequence that you will be just dealing with in day-to-day life anyway, like seeing stuff that's really viscerally upsetting for traumatizing reasons. But there's a difference between that and like just being straight up re-traumatized for shock value by like really irresponsible filmmaking this was considerably more responsible about it i talked about that a lot um with like invisible man because you know i'm obsessed with that movie that's another really good example in my opinion of explaining the abuse without having to explicitly show you it and so that you can still use it as an important theme without it being there just to make people uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable this isn't a horror movie but one of my favorite movies is showgirls and in it I always have to skip this scene near the end. There is a very unnecessary and graphic rape scene in a movie about like sex work and like being a showgirl. It could have been used in a way to highlight that. Instead, it was something entirely different. Like they just threw that in literally for shock value. Back then, the definitions, and even just 30 years ago, the definitions were a little skewed. There are still people today who think that you can't be sexually assaulted by someone that you're married to. And that number is only bigger. The farther back you go, the amount of people that think that just gets higher and higher. And there's also what I, the note that I had that ties into that is there's a, a moment where um, after Justin Long returns to Detroit to start checking out his house because he's getting ready to offload it to sell it, like I said. When he returns to his hometown, he like meets up with like a childhood friend or whatever. They go get drunk 
as he starts drinking, he starts describing to his friend the incident that he's in the middle of right now, which is that um, he's being, he was accused of rape by a co-star on this show that he was going to start. Um, and now he's being fired from the show. The show's going to go on without him. Hence the house selling and whatever. And so when his team like phones him to tell him, hey, we're, you're off the show and you're being accused of rape and like you need to like lawyer up and start getting ready to handle what's going to happen here. He's like, she's lying. That didn't happen. Um, and he's so genuine about it. And then when he's describing the incident to his friend later, he wasn't intentionally denying something he did. He has no idea that what he did is sexual assault. And he's describing it to his friend like confidently and honestly he's telling his friend exactly what happened and what he's describing as sexual assault he just doesn't see it as sexual assault so he doesn't realize that like yeah she accused you of raping her and that's actually what you did you just are not grasping that like you're not putting two and two together which is just an example of the the language has changed a lot so i think some of that older stuff has so much more terrible content in it because people don't even realize that what they're describing and doing is sexual assault I've been re it's funny that you mentioned showgirls I've been I was watching like a couple years ago I watched the 80s version of dynasty that show is full of rape there's like a rape an episode in that show and it's like not ever talked about because it's like usually between like it's like Blake and Crystal or it's like Cullahan and Fallon or like whatever and it's like every episode and I'm like Adam and Kirby every every episode and I'm like holy shit and then when you like go back and look at it people will be like oh that like aggressive love scene that's what husbands and wives do I'm like you're a victim <laughs> you're a victim but exactly that it's and we see it in this movie exactly where he believes that the only definition of rape is like violent and aggressive and he's like well I wasn't either of those things so I didn't do that and like with the way that he describes it to his friend also because like he's watching the tapes right he's seeing the tape that the old man is playing in the basement um and in that basement video the girl is like crying the whole time like screaming and crying the entire time um, and the way Justin Long described his incident to his friend is that he was like, basically was like, well, she stopped saying no. Like, it was a no, but she stopped saying no. So like, obviously that's a yes. And I'm like, no, dude. There's also this kind of moment when he's telling his friend and his friend's kind of like nodding along and being like, yeah, yeah, like this sounds fine. And then he gets like a little bit uncomfortable for a second hearing it and then goes back to being like, yeah, I know you're a good dude, like whatever. And I'm like, hey. Now that we're moving on to like the Justin Long of it all, the way that he speaks about women in this movie, you can automatically tell who he is as a character. Like the first thing he says about this girl when they tell him the accusations is she's lying and she's a bitch. He calls her a lying bitch. He starts like cursing her out and they're like, hey, on this call, you might not want to say those things right now. This is a call where we are legally informing you that you are being accused of a crime. Like this is your notification that you are being charged with a crime. Please remain silent. Exactly. But the way he just like talks about her even after that to anyone or throughout this thing is like calling her a bitch, calling her names like he resorts to name calling because he thinks that's going to help his case. He just thinks he's such a good guy. And he does that up until the very end. He's got like just a justification for everything. He's just he thinks that everything's fine, like that he's doing. That's the main thing about him, though, is he so truly believes that he's a good guy. Because he's like, well, I know what it means to be bad, and I'm not that. Uh, and then we also see it later. Like, he has that moment where he, like, gets home from the bar, and he's, like, breaking down crying and calling her. And is like, it's almost a moment of, like, remorse. 
And for a second, I was so scared that they were going to try to, like, redeem him in this movie and, like, rehabilitate him and be like, actually, he's sorry for his actions, so we shouldn't blame him. And I was like, oh, no, we're going that route because that happens a lot uh, where a man can make, like, one of the most horrible mistakes ever, but he can still be rehabilitated, but a woman can make, like, a tiny mistake that, like, is, like, a non-issue, but because she's a woman, they're like, burn her at the stake. But we see that moment where he has this remorse and he's on the phone with her and he's like, if I did those things, like, I'm so sorry. And like, he's like breaking down crying even after his lawyers advised him, like, do not talk to her. Cause he's like, well, if I just had a conversation with her, it would clear everything up. Like, oh, this is like a side note. But one of the technical things I love in this are the camera shots, specifically the POV shots when he's down there and we like see his long arms and he's like waving this gun around. I really appreciated that. Because, like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, like, POV shots in movies where they're, like, unnecessary, but I feel like it was very necessary in this movie where it, like, puts us in the eyes of the character so we're feeling exactly what they're feeling, we're seeing exactly what they're seeing. And I feel like that was just kind of a cool little, cool little moment, cool little thing that they did. No, and I said this in the, when we originally recorded too, I actually didn't notice that shot. That's, like, how seamless and well, well integrated it was because I don't, I don't like POV shots, like, ever. I'm a hater. But you mentioned it, you were like, oh, I want to, you're like, don't let me forget to talk about the one POV that was like such a great shot. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This entire movie was not. And then I would like saw it when we were rewatching. I was like, oh, oh my God, that's so good. They do it a couple times, but that one stands out to me the most where it's him and you see his arms. And I think he's either holding like a gun or a knife or something. Uh, and the flashlight and all we see is darkness and then I think we do see some movement for like a second and so we know she's like close by and then he starts running. Justin Long is like truly the highlight of this movie to me. By the way, his name's AJ. I, I just call him Justin Long. <laughs> I know, we always do. Um, but his character's name is AJ and I always like giggle about how we just don't use it. Um, and with like Under the Silver Lake, his name's not Sam, it's Andrew Garfield in Under the Silver Andrew Lake. Garfield. It's Andrew Garfield in Under the Silver Lake, like full, full name. So yeah, Justin Long in this movie, absolute delight. One of the best supporting roles I've ever seen him in, ever. That's what scared me for a moment when they cast Justin Long, because I was like, oh, I love Justin Long, and everyone loves Justin Long. So the second that like they were going down the route of like sexual assault, I was like, oh no, we all love Justin Long, and they're going to try to redeem him because we all love him, so they're going to make him a good person, but they didn't, and I was so happy about that. And he plays an icky little man so well. He really does. And I was just going to say, I think that he's a, he's such a great actor um, and he can do like comedy and he can do like the spooky stuff and he can do whatever. But I think something that's like really admirable, he's really committed to the bit when it comes to playing the not nice guy. Um, he's incredible in Tusk for that. He's kind of like a bully in Tusk um, and just like a douchebag. The character obviously has like a pretty emotional journey in the movie Tusk, but in terms of like, he never pulls back or tries to, you know, do anything. He doesn't pull his punches in that at all. I really love Justin Long's end, like the ending of his character in this movie where, you know, him and Tess are with the homeless man in safety after they escaped the house. And he's going through this long thing about how he hurt her, he hurt Tess, he hurt someone, but he's also kind of talking about it in the way that he's talking about like, 
the woman who accused him. He's talking the same way where he's like, I hurt someone. My actions hurt someone. And I have to take responsibility for that. Like, I have to, like, own up to that. And he's like, am I a bad person? I think I might be. Or I think, am I, maybe I'm a good person who just did a bad thing. I don't know. So he's, like, spiraling in this way. And, you know, obviously, as the audience, we realize he's not just talking about Tess. He's talking about his sexual assault and so for a second they're like oh he's getting it he's understanding that like he's bad and like he did horrible things and he his actions hurt someone even if he didn't mean to and then and then and then there's that moment where him and tess are getting away and then he realizes oh i could get away if i sacrifice her so he like shoves her off the thing and then after he realizes that she survives when he's down there, he's like, oh, like, I, I, I didn't even touch you. You slipped. Like, that was you. Oh, my God. Like, are you okay? You slipped. You slipped. You did that. I didn't do anything. I didn't touch you. And you see, like, oh, he had no character growth. Like, he, he didn't understand, like, the consequences of his actions. He didn't understand that what he does hurts other people because to his core, he's inherently selfish. And it's kind of whatever will get him out of the situation that he's in he's gonna take it. And so I thought that was such a good, a good contrast where you're like, oh, they might be redeeming him, maybe. That sucks. And then you're like, no, he's still shitty, even to his very end. It just kind of also goes to show, like, not to say that people are, like, inherently bad or whatever, but um, some people really are just, like, one stressful situation away from being genuinely bad people, um, or rather not becoming bad people, but reverting back to being bad people. Some people can really only hold the act together for so long before something happens and makes them show their true colors that way, which is just really true in real life and also very funny for his character to do that in such a blatant kind of funny way too like it was it was comedic but still also kind of made you go like oh dude within like minutes of each other too which is what i really love that it's like when it really comes down to it like you're gonna choose yourself over this person who has been helping you this entire time this person who went back for you to save you this person who has saved you a couple times now you're not gonna do the same to her um, the deaths in this movie are so creative and cool. There's not many. We don't see a lot of brutality on screen except for these like few moments with the different deaths. I think there's three and then the mother, but each one is just so cool. Like first we start out with Keith's, which is just the simple smashing his head against <laughs> the, the tunnel. And then it's the homeless man. She jumps in or she bursts in. She rips his arm off and then like beats him to death with it. I also love the timing of that. I was just gonna say that's what I had said in the original one too. I was like, the timing of it's so funny because you'd think that it would happen like right after, but the way she just slightly cuts him off gives you no time to really like, you're you're processing what he said as you're seeing it happen and it just makes it so much like funnier and scarier and perfect, perfect timing. And the last death in this, which is Justin Long's death, I think she like puts her thumbs into his eyes and then like splits his head open. Is that mm -hmm. what happens? Yeah. They are so brutal when they come to it. They don't use it often in this movie. Like, it's not like every single scene is, like, so brutal that, like, none of it ends up being brutal because that's just the whole movie. It's such a good contrast to the rest of the movie where it's, like, feels very easy, even if it's, like, very scary. There's a lot happening, but it's not, like, this graphic thing that you're seeing until these few moments and you're like, oh, right, this is, this is what happens in this movie. Um... 
one of my favorite lines that I always mention in this movie when the homeless guy is telling her, like, she's not even the worst thing that's in there. I want to know what else is in there. If she's not the worst thing, what is? Unless he was talking about the old man, then I understand. I think the director or the writer, I think he's both the writer and the director, said um, that he wants to make more movies in the barbarian universe because there are more creatures he said so i'm like i want to see the creatures i want to know i'm ready for i'm ready for like 10 sequels yeah they need to do it like american horror story where all the sequels have uh justin long in them but he can just play a different character every time <laughs> please so we were talking about how mother's rage and women's rage can overlap um but are not necessarily the same thing it's it's more common in like drama um a lot of fantasy stuff as well so they don't always overlap but they often do it's something that very obviously drives the character of the mother the name the mother in um barbarian she has she's a victim of incest and rape she's a descendant of the old man the man who used to own the house um, because he started kidnapping and raping women and having babies with them and then having more babies with the babies of the women that he had raped. Um, and part of her thing with Tess that Tess learns very easily with being very like submissive and diffusing the situation is that this creature just wants a baby. So she just wants her baby. She sees Tess as her baby. She tries to have Justin Long be her baby. Like we see all of that. And what she ends up killing Justin Long for is for out of protection for Tess more than anything because Tess has become her surrogate baby more so than any of the other like attempted surrogates have because Tess was so sweet with her in order to save herself but like that there's no way this thing understands that um there's kind of like a hulk out level of rage that we can see in women when it comes to like maternal instinct it's way stronger than regular women's rage that we see in movies usually and is usually it's like less driven out of personal empowerment and power and more driven out of like adrenaline and vengeance a real life example being that world record where the woman like straight up lifted the car off of her baby yeah it's more driven by like vengeance and adrenaline um and fear than it is out of like self-empowerment or anything like that so that's where they differ but they are often similar you can't help but really feel for the mother in this because this isn't her choice. She's not just kidnapping and killing people because she feels like it. This is all she knows. She doesn't know anything else. She's not the one doing this. She's simply just doing what she's taught. And all she has to learn, I think, is that one baby video that he buys in the store and that she has on the TV on loop. That's all she knows. All she knows is how to take care of this baby. And it's so tragic. And then she doesn't have one, so... Yeah, and then she doesn't have one. The story is very tragic. And she doesn't know what, like, horrifying monster she is especially in the end moments before Tess kills her you can see that in Tess too where she like just feels so much for her and like they have that moment where they're just like staring at each other and the mother almost understands why she has to do this and she's like caressing Tess's face she's like calling her baby and then Tess fires the gun and kills her and like you can see that like kind of takes her a moment to even get the courage to do it because she's like kind of battling that internal thing too where she's like this creature doesn't know any better but also I can't just leave it because this could happen to someone else or worse. She grapples with it and then does it and as she's walking away she kind of is thinking about all these things. Which is kind of interesting because that's also where it like intersects with the women's politeness and compassion being like a downfall because she does hesitate. It goes okay for her. She still like gets out of the situation. She still does the thing she has to do, the hard thing to do in the end and gets herself out of the unsafe situation. Um, but yeah, she does hesitate and it could have gone badly. Her hesitation 
and her like moment of compassion could have cost her. This entire movie genuinely is very sad when you think about it. And I think that's what makes it such a great horror movie is that it it isn't just straight horror. It is horror, but it has like underlying tones of like comedy and like drama. And so it has so many different components to it that you feel drawn or connected to it in some way. I think um, I always talk about the movie Mama. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, and that's like that the entire movie, that whole movie is about mother's rage. Um, every time I watch it, I cry. It's such a sad movie. It's a horror movie but it's so sad. Anytime you try to inject Mother's Rage, which is like a really powerful thematic tool into a horror movie specifically, now your horror movie is gonna make people cry or almost cry. It's now gonna be like a drama horror. Some crying will be happening. It will pull the heartstrings of at least the compassionate people in your audience. And I think you kind of have to have sadness and horror because so much of horror is sadness. So much of it is born out of sadness, out of grief, out of misery, out of depression. I think that the fact that um, horror is, as a genre, so based around death, and it's so based around what would be considered a tragedy in real life, but we it, it's so detached when you're watching a horror movie because the intention is fear. And so often, like you see, they try to inject little hints of like romance and stuff, like teen slashers, you know what I mean? And it, it often like still doesn't quite upset you the way that it should. So I just think it's it's crazy to me that this is the one the one thing that you can inject into your horror movie to make the tragedy more tragic and I'll actually be really broken up over it. All right, that wraps up our discussion today for Barbarian. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have seen this movie so we didn't spoil anything for you. Uh, if you haven't, sorry, we warned you though. Join us next week when we do one of my personal favorites, Vivarium. In the meantime, you can visit our link tree, WYFSM, to find where else to listen to the podcast and our socials. Our official Twitter is WYFSM Podcast. We'll catch you in the next episode.